Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to St. Michael's in the Morning, a podcast series encompassing everything from sermons and services to special audio presentations, brought to you by St. Michael's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. For more information or to make a donation to St. Michael's, please visit www.st-michaels.org. Good morning, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to episode 64 of Calm Words for Anxious Hearts, a podcast we started back in March of 2020 to offer people some theological grounding and perspective amidst what was a really scary time. And as I like to tell people, whenever we started this podcast, I thought we'd do about 10 episodes. And so here we are, episode 64, and we're part of a great Easter speaker series. And today we get to welcome a friend, a colleague, someone whom I'll even call a mentor, the Reverend Beth Fain. Now, a little bit about Beth. Uh, She currently works as the Missioner for Congregational Vitality Uh, on staff for the Episcopal Diocese of Texas, and she has a great ministry there working with both clergy and lay people where she'll create systems and practices that basically help increase congregational vitality. And so she does things like peer learning cohorts and, you know, thinking about how we deliver innovative ways of educating about vital practices. And she works closely with Joanne Sailors, the Canon for Mission Amplification, and other members of that team. But before that, um, Beth has a long history uh, as a priest in the diocese, and she served as the rector of St. Mary's Episcopal Church in Cyprus, Texas, kind of outside of Houston, where she served for well over, um, I want to say 17 or 18 years, Beth. How many years? 20. 20 years. And um, and Beth also was really used by the diocese to mentor clergy. And whenever I was a new clergy um, at something called Curate Camp, Beth was our facilitator and really um, um, or, or came in to speak to us rather and, and just really value her and, and all the things that she's done. So Beth, it's so good to have you here. I, I so value our friendship and Uh, I'm glad that we get to introduce you to the people of St. Michael's. Thank you, John. So I am so grateful to John for inviting me to be part of this. And I told him before we went um, and started recording, the gift it was to be invited to think about resurrection and what it means. And every year when Easter comes around, we're in a very different place with um, where resurrection is. And to get ready for this, I went back through all of the resurrection accounts in the Gospels. And I was very thoughtful about how the people in the Gospels struggled with understanding what it meant for Jesus to be resurrected and words like afraid and confused and disbelief and and uncertain, all kinds of words came up. And I was thoughtful about how Jesus met each of those people in a way that helped them to begin to understand what resurrection meant to themselves and to their ongoing ministry. And I had a real encounter with what it means to live as resurrected people a couple of weeks ago. 
As John mentioned, I work on the mission amplification team and three of us were invited to come and facilitate a conversation with what's called the Small Church Network. It's a group of uh, leaders, mostly mission congregations that gather at Camp Allen twice a year to learn about best practices, to support one another, to encourage one another. These are churches with less than 75 members, which means that on Sunday mornings, they may have 10 to 20 people on a good Sunday. And this was their first time to meet in person. So this was uh, since the pandemic began. So it was a great joy to be there. So what we were invited to do as Mission AMP was to help them reflect on what they had uh, learned, what they had done that was seemed impossible during the past year in the pandemic. And to look at that, then how did that process, how did we make that happen so that then we can go and do the next thing that God is inviting us to do? So on Sunday night, we shared um, with great enthusiasm the impossible things that these congregations had done. And you can imagine what they started with. It was like, we got online. We started online giving. We actually learned how to do Zoom. But as they had conversation, they began to see ways that they had connected with other congregations, how they had fed people. These are small churches, mainly in small towns, and amazing things they had done for God, things they had never imagined they could do, what we like to call impossible things. And there was so much joy that night about how we had um, moved fully in the power of the Spirit to do impossible things in this most challenging of years. So Monday morning, we were then going to look at, well, what was the process that enabled you to do this impossible thing, this thing you thought you could never do? Who were the people that you involved? How did you communicate? How, what were the steps you took? And we broke into groups and we were, were parsing that through, thinking that we were going to get a, um, a, a process that they could then, in the final hour, begin to pull in slots of what God might be inviting them to do next. Maybe something they never thought they could do, but God was nudging them to do. And it was so interesting the way the whole mood of the room shifted on Monday morning when we started looking back at the process. Because Sunday night, we had been full of joy and enthusiasm. We were full in the presence of the resurrected Christ. And Monday morning, we still were. But what I was struck with that the grief over the past year, the sorrow over the past year, the disappointments, the, how hard it had been, and that, there, that the people, at least at the table I was sitting, really needed to stop and thinking about the process began to bring up their grief and their anger and their actually like, no, do we have to do this again? Do we have to do the next impossible thing? And I was thoughtful about this is part of being resurrection too, is those first disciples were, were full of grief and uncertainty. And I realized as I've been having lots of conversations over the past few months that what they needed to do to be resurrected people was to stop and what we like to call sit a spell. That what they really needed was actually what Jesus had done with those first disciples. They needed to be listened to. They needed to stop and go through all of the things that had happened. 
that they needed good listeners before they could go to whatever God was inviting them to next. And so I'm thoughtful that this year, as Easter people in this 50 days of Easter, that one of the invitations we're having is to sit a spell with one another and to really listen, not tell people as we listen how we got through it and, and what worked for us, but to listen to people and their stories and not just to listen to the people that are our friends, but those other people, the friends that God puts in our path. I've been mindful that when my gardener comes that he needs to listen. And so I've just been sitting and listening to him. And that one of the invitations that we're being given as people of the resurrection this year is to stop and be with people and listen and sit a spell and let us tell our stories the way that Jesus um, did that with those who had were beginning to understand what his resurrection meant to them and their lives. So my resurrection uh, invitation this year is to sit a spell and listen. Uh, thank you so much for that. Um, that really teed it up, I think, for a great conversation uh and i have a lot i want to ask and talk about um but one thing you said that you started doing the prep work by reading through all the different resurrection accounts i'm just wondering you know off the top of your head um, which one's your favorite or the most challenging or which one really speaks to you i'm only going to let you choose one because i know that they're all your favorite but which one really <laughs> grabs you um well the, what i'll think about first because it's got the most in it is um Oh, I was trying to decide whether it was Luke or John. I'll go to Luke because it, it fits in with kind of what I'm, I'm saying is that Jesus, when he was with the, 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 the disciples on the walk to Emmaus, he listens to them first. He asks them questions. Um, he does, being Jesus later, kind of explain things, but they don't really get it until, again, he sits with them and has a meal. And then when he goes to the 11 in the, the locked room, um, where he knows what they need to hear. They need to hear peace. Mm -hmm. But again, he sits down with them and has a meal. And, and I think before he launches into his teaching that he's probably having conversation. It says he eats in their presence. And so I think about him showing up and sitting with them. I don't think he just stuffed his food in his, his mouth and then started talking. I mean, I think he chatted with them, listened to them, and then did it. And of course, the, the culminating he said is then, and you're to be my witnesses. It's not just for you. It's, it's for what you take forward. Yeah, I love that. Um, so kind of going into your um, reflection, um, before we, you know, started talking or you started talking about what it means to be a resurrected people or an Easter people, you, you said something provocative, which I want to, in a good way, which I want to unpack a little bit. Um, and you were talking about how Jesus, you know, in all accounts of the Gospels, how people were all struggling at the beginning, you know, what does it mean for Jesus to be resurrected and that there was doubt, there was confusion, there was joy, there was disbelief, there yeah. was all kinds of stuff. But you said that Jesus came um, and met each person. I don't know if you said in a personal way, but, but I kind of got the vibe of Jesus met people where they were in a very intimate and personal way. And I'm just wondering, you know, how is what's that been like for you the last year? And what personal, intimate way has Jesus had to meet you? What have been kind of your emotions as you 
think about the impossible things you've had to do the last 12 months? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, when I was thinking about the scriptures, I thought about uh, the, the disciples, have, how they had gone through seeing the worst thing that could possibly happen, the, the person they thought was going to come and save the world, and uh, he died. He was murdered. He was executed. And so I felt like part of, of what was going on was they had all this grief. And I think um, the thing for this year has been the challenge of, I don't think there's a day where there hasn't had to be a pivot. Yeah. I don't think there's been a day where there hasn't been something new that I had to learn how to do or something I had to give up. And to know I was, and perhaps I'm really projecting myself into the gospels, which is what I think we do. And I was all over the map. I mean, some days I was joyful, some days I was making something new. Um, really feeling such a deep um, sorrow when I was talking to people who were grieving clergy. I spent a lot of time listening to clergy and just um, how much grief and, and uncertainty there was in other people and then how that affected me. And um, thankful, becoming so full of gratitude for even more grateful than I've ever been for all of the opportunity, support, and privilege I have, and so much more aware of the gap. Um, and what can I do about the gap with people who don't have all the safety nets? I've got a, a safe workspace. I've got um, plenty of money. I've got bosses that support me, that encourage me, that say, take a day, go rest. And um, that's not true for, I think, most of the other people in the world. And so what is my response to be to that? and very thoughtful about that. Yeah. And that, uh, that, that really resonates with me because, you know, on the one hand, um, you know, everyone has their personal grief and pain. And on the yeah. other hand, I think that you're pointing out that, I mean, we kind of have a, um, a, and I mean this in the best sense of the word, a, a privileged uh, moment where we have, you know, we, we have employment, we have safety. Like right now you and I get to do a podcast together and get paid for it. Like, this is our job. I mean, it's really fun. And uh, that's not everyone has that experience. And I love how Brene Brown says that, you know, um, empathy is not a finite resource, right? It's not like a pizza where you got to give everyone their own empathy and then maybe there's some left over for you. But what she says, uh, kind of in her classic, um, almost um, using foul language, uh, Texan. <laughs> Uh, she says, we can piss and moan with perspective. And so I find yes. that like, yes. I've been doing a lot of pissing and moaning with perspective, <laughs> um, because I think you're right. It can be heartbreaking to see, you know, where, where others are. Um, yeah. I mean, is that, does that resonate with you? Absolutely. And, um, two things that I think of, um, one of them, when I was beginning to think about what we might have conversation about on on a Sunday, I was decided I was going to bake um, a strawberry cobbler because I had mm. a bunch of strawberries. And so I wanted a recipe for the strawberry cobbler. And I remembered my grandmother had a peach cobbler recipe. And my daughter writes cookbooks and blogs and things like that. So if I need a recipe, I always know where to go. And so I thought I'll use the my grandmother's peach cobbler recipe but with strawberries in it instead. Mm -hmm. So. Um, I went to my daughter's blog to get the recipe to change it out. And she had written it right after Harvey mm. and she had written it about me and she had written about my kitchen 
that I had flooded in uh, tax day and that she'd come over the spring before, right before I moved back in after tax day. And we looked at the kitchen and designed it and looked forward to her coming and cooking in it. And that she'd never gotten to because I flooded again in Harvey. And so she wrote about that. And I was surprised at how I went back to all the sorrow and grief of Harvey and losing my home twice. Yeah. And all of that. And so the thing about how that prepares me then to walk with other people, because I walk with hope, but it doesn't take away the grief. I mean, that grief will always be there. But I can walk with hope is to see all of the ways that I am, that God has been with me and made me who I am now that I would not have been without that grief. Um, but the second thing was to think about the word comfort. And comfort means to make stronger, literally. And that the whole thing of listening with people and being with people is helping them to be stronger. It's not to like put them under a blanket and throw them away, it's, it's to make them stronger. And so um, I think one of the things when we sit with our own grief, and as your last speaker talked about our suffering, that it's so that we can be stronger and help others be stronger too, because we do not grieve as those without hope. Right. This is the scripture. Yeah. So one of the things um, that you, you referenced kind of in talking about your own grief was how there hadn't been a day where you haven't had to pivot. And, <laughs> uh, and some of us, like, I know some people, I think they're insane, but I do know some people who like love, you know, constant change and chaos and, you know, they claim, but I think like for most of us, we, for the most part, need some level of stability and like, control and predictability in the best sense of the world word. Like yeah. we can make those things into idols, certainly, but I know that that's mm -hmm. been taken away from a lot of us. And uh, I'm currently, my, my wife, Emily teaches 10th grade English. And I told her that <laughs> I wanted to retake 10th grade English. And so I'm reading all the books and uh, <laughs> I'm thinking about, uh, you read uh, Catcher in the Rye and uh, uh, <laughs> the 10th grade and the main character there is Holden Caulfield, you know, kind of this, teenage rebellion figure but one of the things that strikes me about him that he hates is how the world is always changing and so he always goes back to the natural science museum because it's the only place in his world mm. where everything is always the same and in reading that it just kind of brought me to the pain of all people of just how yes. change itself, like just, just the sense where nothing is predictable, nothing is the same, how much that's worn on so many people in the last year. And yet, right. But the reason I'm kind of tying this in is whenever I think of resurrection, my intuition is that somehow resurrection takes and works with this reality like resurrection is not a static thing it's not i mean by definition resurrection is not when your world always stays the same and so um somehow with everything being in flux even though there's grief i think that resurrection would say there's also tons of hope and yes. what i heard in your reflection was like the hopeful side of that yes yes and um in, in the gospels where they don't recognize Jesus is because something has shifted. And so I think it's really exhausting to have to keep shifting. On the other hand, what you said is every time we do, we know that we, we did it. I mean, there's a, this great 
joy. Look what I did. I was able to move home to work. I was yeah. able to redesign worship and things like that. And I think that's about being resurrected people. We can be yes and. Yes, we know that we're tired. Yes, we know that maybe we are grieving. And we're hopeful. We know Christ is with us. And we know we are not alone. I mean, it's my community has become even more essential in this and, and these places where we connect with people because I can be hopeful when someone else isn't, they can be hopeful and we partner together and how important community is to that, which I think is, is the resurrection message. Um, almost always Jesus meets people in a community, not one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. So you just said, we know Christ is with us. And you also, in sharing your reflection, I think it was that, that next day, the Monday you, you, you mentioned um, that y'all were in the presence of the resurrected Christ. And certainly I believe that, but, you know, for our listeners, let's reflect on that a little bit. Mm -hmm. How do we know? And I don't mean like intellectual knowledge with certainty, but um, what are the, what are the signs if, if we want to be, if we want to notice the resurrected Christ in our midst, how do we know or intuit or feel or access that experience? How do you know, Beth, whenever you're in the presence of the resurrected Lord? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I think one of the gifts of, of having um, a spiritual practice is that we, whether we feel like it or not, we practice being in the presence of Christ. And that that opens a door so that we can can see. Um, I know that there have been times when I haven't felt like the resurrected Christ was near. Um, yeah, I, I have times when I've I've really felt that way. I know that in those really deep times, if, if I can ask, or if someone can ask for me, for me to see those signs, that that makes a difference as well. Um, I think there's some prayers that, that Jesus always says yes to, which is help me feel closer to you, help me know you. It may not be right away. In fact, there's usually a delay <laughs> in my experience, but I think asking. Um, but I think the more that we have opportunities to, to open our hearts to God, the, the more we are um likely to see jesus when we don't when we need to most i think um uh the resurrected jesus doesn't come at our command which is very frustrating for us <laughs> jesus shows up when jesus shows up um, and i think every time we remember i think the remembering is such a big deal the times when jesus has shown up when, when the resurrected christ has shown up in our lives and go well i may not feel it now but Jesus has in the past, eventually I will know it again. Yeah. So those are some random thoughts. Well, no, th those didn't feel random at all. They felt really together. And, and I think um, <laughs> one of the things that I appreciated you mentioning was a spiritual practice because um, although this isn't all of it, I mean, part of, part of the work I think is believing in the promise. I mean, you know, Jesus says, when two or three gather in my name, there I am in their midst, or whenever we receive Eucharist. I mean, there are certain things where Jesus has promised to be present with us. And so I think that although um, the resurrection and the experience of Christ, like, you know, Jesus can break in at any time, 
you know, and surprise us, whether we have a practice or not, whether we're Christian or not. I mean, Jesus is free and he can, can, and does do wild, unpredictable things. But at the same time, there is also some consistency, you know, what does it say that he's the same today, yesterday, and forever. And that, um, the point of a spiritual practice is to tap into that consistent presence in our life. Um, and, and that really ties into the listening, I think. Um, and so I want to kind of, you know, pivot the conversation. That was a big part. Um, t- just tell me about that. Tell me about the role of listening with respect to being a resurrected people. Well, I think the first is that we spend time listening to God, which means uh, we all have our different way of doing that. But it does involve in some way some silencing, whether it's while we're exercising or there's some giving God a chance to jump in. Um, I've, I've been really thoughtful by all the brokenness in the world that we've really been aware of in the past year. And one of them I've been aware is um, how much we need to listen to people who might not agree with us or be different from us, not tell them what we think, but to sit and listen with. And so I think resurrected people know that Christ is with them when they are listening to hard things, when they are listening to people that are different from them. That's what Jesus did. Um, When they, knowing that Christ is present and somehow that's that's working through that and having the courage to know that when we're listening, we're listening with Christ, we're listening uh, on behalf of Christ. And so for me, that's part of, of having the gift of the Holy Spirit that allows us to listen and to listen with that ear of our heart as Benedict talks about. That is, um, I think, going to be crucial to us having um, healing in our in our broken world. Yeah. You know, one of the things that it occurs to me, both with listening to God and to others, um, is that, you know, Richard Rohr, at some point, he said that, you know, that there is no way forward with faith unless you're willing to hold a felt experience of a lot of anxiety. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whether that's developing a contemplative prayer practice. And so for those who have practiced contemplative prayer for a long time, who might have, you know, built some space for that. And, um, um, they don't sit down most days for their contemplative sit and crawl out of their skin. But if you're going to try contemplative prayer for the first time, sitting in silence, the the heroic thing might be being able to sit for four minutes without looking at your phone or two minutes. I mean, right. Because if we're not used to that, uh, there's something in our body and mind that rebels around just like sitting and I actually think it's the same with other people. I mean, it can sound really nice um, to listen to someone who has a different perspective, but kind of given the polarizing nature of society in the moment, we all have that experience of um, listening to someone whose opinions and uh, way of seeing things. I mean, it's almost like we're going to crawl out of our skin if we don't say something or if we <laughs> don't leave the room. And and so, you know, one of the things that I'm present to is that listening both to God and other people, um, that this means kind of um, taking a deep breath and knowing that it's not always going to feel right. You know, it's not going to feel right all the time. 
probably more often than not, it's not. And and I was thinking about David Brooks on the PBS News Hour, where he's really been um, has some wonderful commentary about where we are in our government and our country. And he talks about that we're not going to cause people to change by convincing them, by telling them what we think. He keeps talking about that we have to sit with people and listen to them. Now, he is a, a Roman Catholic. He's doing this as a, a secular newsman, but I, I'm thoughtful about that. He's saying, we're not gonna change people by telling them what we think. We're going to begin to partner with people as we listen to them and um, build trust, because I think build, rebuilding trust comes from listening and me not telling you what to do. Yeah. Which requires an invitation. <laughs> which, you know, requires tremendous faith because um, you know, there was a tension, a healthy tension uh, in your reflection between the idea of doing and being, right? Doing the next impossible thing, but the next impossible thing actually being about space, listening, and the cessation of doing to be present, right? And it takes a lot of faith to say courage um, and love means doing less and being present more because we don't immediately see any fruit from that always, at least not on the grand scale that the human ego wants, you know, like, and so it just occurs to me that it can, um, it can require tremendous faith just to kind of slow down, stop and to say, listening is my main work. And that beginning to maybe reframe that doing may is sitting and listening doing is pausing doing is that it's not our typical hands and feet and spreadsheets and things like that which are important things and there's a time to do them but beginning to give ourselves permission that doing may be what the world says is doing nothing and yet it may be doing the most important thing which is sitting beside someone and listening or being present with. And it makes me think, as you say that, Beth, about like the quality of love and motivation we bring to our work, you know, because now I'm thinking of the baptismal covenant, where we talk about um, respecting the dignity of every human being and working for justice. And it occurs to me that there is a difference between reacting to life and responding to God. And that we can do good things, you know, quote unquote, good things or the right things from two different motivations. Uh, on the one hand, we can do it as a reaction from a place of unprocessed emotion and woundedness, or we can do things um, motivated by a deeper love, wisdom and intelligence. And so as I think about your reflection of sitting and listening, um, I don't see that. And I don't think you see that as at all antithetical to action, but rather as clearing um, that, that heart center, clearing that space so that whenever we do act, we are moved by God's spirit uh, and God's wisdom and God's humility and not our own kind of anxiety, fear, and ideology. Yes, yes, yes. Creating space. I love that. I love that phrase, creating space for God. Yeah. 
And one other one other place I'm just curious about that hasn't been explicitly mentioned with respect to listening, but I'm curious what you think about it. Um, um, you know, you got two legs of the three listening stool, I think, uh, <laughs> listening to others, listening to God, but there's also listening to ourselves. Yes. And I think about um, John Calvin once said that, you know, knowledge of God and knowledge of self are you know, inextricably bound together. And it's like your two legs. If you take a step with one leg, that leg's not going forward until the next leg catches up. And so what does it mean, you know, as we listen to God to actually listen to ourselves? Do you have any thoughts about that? Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up because I think that um, there was a time when we were really very focused uh, in, in the way that we were practicing our Christianity, maybe 20 years ago, we were really focused on ourselves and our own healing and things like that. And so I think I kind of walk away from that sometimes and realize um, such an overused metaphor, but the oxygen mask one, whereas mm -hmm. if I'm not healthy, if I'm not whole, if I'm not in a good place with God, or if I'm not trying to be in a good place with God, I am less effective with other people. I'm less effective with God, and and that that place of um, of, of tending our own, um, being self aware, being knowing the stories we're making up in our head, mm -hmm. knowing where we're hearing truth, where we're not, knowing where we're we're sitting with people that help bring out the best in us. All of those things, and listening to what we're learning from that is um is critical and i'm so glad that you mentioned that as it's not complete if we don't remember to listen to ourselves as well and and hear the truth about who we are yeah i'm really mad about this or you know i'm feeling joy today i mean really listening to, to who and where we are as we broaden um our relationship with god and others yeah that's that's great well beth i want to thank you for your your time with us and this great reflection and just for sharing who you are and your own prayer life with me and with, with St. Michael's. Um, so before we go, um, there are five questions that I like to ask every guest and, um, you don't need to reflect too much on them. They have nothing to do with, with your reflection. Um, and just a sentence or two. Um, so you ready for the John Newton rapid five? Oh yes. Okay. Here we go. Number one, Beth, what are you grateful for at the moment? Oh. We don't have enough time. <laughs> Let me just say, um, I'm, I'm grateful that every time that God allows me to see God's hand at work, um, I set my computer so I can watch the birds outside and I'm going to have a new garden and all of that. And so I'm grateful uh, for every time that God allows me to just see how much I have grateful to be grateful for. Yeah, love it. Okay, so um, what, uh, since the COVID pandemic began in March of 2020, so much has changed and it's changed all of us. Um, what are you less sure of in your own life uh, as a result of this COVID-19 experience? I'm less certain that I can plan that something will happen and it will happen the way I expect it to. Um, I, I know that every day is going to be a surprise. Mm -hmm. Amen. <laughs> um, so the other side of that question three, what are you more sure of than you were before the pandemic began? 
I am more certain than ever that I have a God who walks beside me, before me, under me, beneath me, all those places, and is preparing a way, is providing, not in ways that I may want to be provided for, but I will be provided for, and the people I love will be, and I am more certain of God's love for all of us than I was before the pandemic began. Love it. What um, book, movie, television show, um, uh, or anything else, uh, just <laughs> one, has brought you sanity, peace, comfort in the last year? Well, I've been reading a lot. Um, but I think the thing that I'm thinking about the most, maybe because the Academy Awards were this week, was Nomadland. Um, I loved that movie because um, it showed people in the midst of great uncertainty and how kind they were to each other mm. and how there were only like two times in the whole movie where someone didn't seem to be kind and, and how they were community and provided for each other, people that maybe had less than we would sometimes imagine. And it was very inspiring to me. All right. Last question. Um, whenever uh, your time comes and you uh, stand before God, what do you hope to hear God say to you? You loved well. Well, Beth, you have loved us well today, and thank you for uh, being with us again, and, and thank you just for who you are um, and for the role you've had in my life, and uh, I miss seeing you in person. I'm glad I get to see you via Zoom, but I'm hoping a day comes uh, relatively soon when you can meet the Saint people of St. Michael's in person, but thank you for, for sharing your time with us um, for this series. Well, I'm back on the road again, so just let me know. I am vaccinated and I'm traveling, so maybe sooner than later. Amen. Amen. Well, bless you, brother. You you do huge work for the kingdom. Thank you. You really do. Thank you. Um, all right. Well, we'll we'll cut off the you know after after an appropriate time. But um, thank you. That was so. This isn't going to go on the podcast anymore. Um, but thank you. Um, this was great. This was perfect. And I really appreciate everything. Well, I want to say I'm um, getting ready. I mean, I checked out your website. I checked out your worship and everything. And um, you you have just done exactly what I, I would have expected from you. And I, I can't imagine how exhausting and everything is, but your worship is good. I mean, you really can, I mean, the online worship, I haven't been in your in-person worship, of course, yeah. but just how you met people where they were. It was very interactive. It was, it was beautiful worship. And um, not everybody has been able to do that, but that's because you listen to God. Yeah. So. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we will, we'll take you up on your offer, you know, well, at some point we'll have you, have you to Austin and, um, and uh, I'll check in with you soon. Okay. Well, uh, may I pray for you? I would love it. What may I pray for you, John? Um, let's see. Well, um, we have a lot of chaos at the moment. We have a um, 
building project on on the outside and the inside right so we flooded from the the pipes and then we have this other building project and i appreciate your compliments over worship but <laughs> i feel like we still haven't figured out exactly you know as we move towards the fall how to make this um kind of operational without a, a big staff crew um we're gonna have staff transitions um and yeah i mean it's just kind of it's all it's all just messy it's not bad uh and i'm tired and so uh, i'm taking all of july off and uh, between now and then though we're just gonna keep having to work really really hard just to stay on track so pray for a good vacation and just pray for um saint michael's and um not that uh, it won't cease to, you know, not, not that it's going to be a, a perfect tidy, you know, wrap it up in a bow. Cause that's not going to happen for a long time, but just that we get the work done that we need to get done before I go on vacation. And that, um, that amidst all the anxiety, you know, how that is with people, people kind of form into their autopilot routines and some people, over function, some people under function, and it can be hard to kind of manage all of that. So just that people will be calm and sane and take care of themselves and that we'll get through this time um, stronger and more connected than, uh, than um, you know, that'll be a blessing to us. That'll be an impossible thing that blesses us. Yeah. What are you going to do to get some rest before July? sleep, exercise, you know, take, take days off, you know, that kind of stuff. Well, be gentle with yourself. Yeah. Well, let me pray. Let us pray. Loving God, um, thank you so much for this time to, to be with my brother, for how much his ministry means to me, to the diocese, to his people, but most to you. Just when you feel like there couldn't be one more change or challenge, then there's another. And so I ask that you would be with them in this time of chaos, that they would know what is essential to do for your kingdom, what is most important to do first, that you would be with them in the midst of many, many transitions, that you would give them peace about your presence with them, that you'd work out the details of the renovations, the remodeling, the rebuilding. And that as John waits for this fabulous vaccine, uh, well, vaccine certainly, but vacation in July, that you would give him times of holy rest and recreation. And that you would continue to pour out your most abundant blessing on this precious place in your kingdom, St. Michael's. In Jesus' name, amen.